Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. Today, I am joined by, I would say, the infamous Pete Canones. <laughs> How are you doing today, Pete? Good. Thank you for inviting me, Jacob. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. It's been a long time coming. So, kind of just want to just jump straight in with both feet. Mm -hmm. um, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the story with you now is uh, you were libertarian, and I I'm not sure if you call yourself post-libertarian or if that's kind of the label that people have branded you. Um, <laughs> it's like a word I came up with for the title of a podcast and it's stuck. And then, of course, <laughs> my, my friend Stefan Kinsella had to go and find an article from like 1993 or 1994 where someone had used post used the term post-libertarian just to prove to me that I didn't invent it. So um, <laughs> that's, a, that's OK. I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take credit in. Uh, making it popular, especially since uh, Paul Godfrey's new book, um, A Paleoconservative Anthology, there's an article in there by C.J. Engel where the in the title, the term post-libertarian is in there. And um, I'm, I know where he got that from. <laughs> All right. So do you kind of want to explain like what got you into libertarianism and then what led you, I guess, away from it? Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's what I still am is anti-war. Um, Ron Paul talking about why the wars in the Middle East were happening, um, what caused them. And I didn't have that information. I started looking deeper into Ron Paul and he started talking about libertarian. Yeah, he mentioned libertarianism. So I started reading some books. Um, yeah, I read a, Ron Paul's book on um, foreign policy, which I believe is just a bunch of speeches from the House floor. And that helped me to understand more. But then I started going down the the road of uh, Murray Rothbard and Lodo von Mises. And I liked the ideas. They made a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I think I was naive in thinking that um, a society like that could actually you know, happen in my lifetime or the lifetime of um, anyone's grandkids. Um, but it, I mean, it sounds good. There are still, um, well, then I came up to 2017. I started a podcast. I just wanted to, um, put my voice out there and talk about Liberty, what I saw Liberty as. And as things started progressing, I started noticing the culture more. I started noticing that, there was a lot of violence in the streets in 2017. I wrote an article on how um, I believe that all these women getting gender studies degrees were going to end up in HR departments. And uh, that came, <laughs> that came true. Um, but you know, I'm, I don't think it, it was, I'm not a genius for being able to look at that and figure that out. Uh, around 2019, I really started looking at the way, um, politics was being played, especially with the whole uh, Russia and Ukraine gate. Um, I realized that getting somebody elected was not going to help um, to increase liberty. Started talking to people like Paul Gottfried, the aforementioned Paul Gottfried. Um, COVID comes along <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, you know, <laughs> No one's running to the libertarians to ask for answers on how to solve this. As a matter of fact, they're openly mocking them. Like, I remember posts on, on social media 
they were just openly mocking libertarianism, some calling them the death of libertarianism. Now, you may not agree with that, and they may be wrong, but that's what people were saying. And no one wanted the answers that we had. And people generally bowed to the regime, to what the regime had to say. And I immediately was just like, okay, well, I can sit here and I can still talk about an ideology that is ideal. It's an ideal. Um, it's an ought. Or I can figure out ways to get through this now. And, um, you know, COVID, people will say, oh, well, you know, COVID's over. Well, it's, no, it's not. We still have the, I mean, it's in people's minds. People changed their minds about what they were willing to tolerate. And I just, I'm looking for a way to at least, you know, I was talking to Tom Woods and we were just talking about kicking the can far down the road, just surviving, but thriving while we survive. Um, you know, until one day, you know, maybe we can get secession going and then you can start breaking it up into smaller polities and you can, I mean, I think even today you can um, try to do like a Hans Hermann Hoppe, what must be done, localism um, on a small scale level. I don't think it's going to work out as perfectly as Hans lays out there, but we have to figure out what to do now. And just continuing to talk about, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin in Amkapistan just didn't seem like it was a good use of my time. Um, people, if people want to keep talking about that, um, that's fine. But just stop coming after me for trying to find practical solutions. You know, just because I used to be a part of your religion and now I'm an apostate, you know, doesn't mean... <laughs> doesn't have to, you don't have to attack me. Um, I still believe in certain things that libertarians talk about, decentralization, private property, but those are not exclusive to libertarianism. So calling my libertarian is, um, I don't believe in this overarching voluntary society. I mean, it's not going to happen. And if we were in a situation, say it was the the 1910s, the 1920s, and we had this kind of idea and we could work towards it, there is less of a barrier in front of us to do it. The barrier that's in front of us right now, like literally wants to mutilate your children, not only their bodies, but their minds as well. So how do we, in order for anyone to start talking about an ideal, that barrier needs to be pushed through. And I put out a tweet today saying um, the fight is going to be to fight through this. And you'll know you've won when you're out on the other side and you have your own institutions, uh, when you're running your own institutions and you're running your own polities. Interesting. So, so it was really just wanting more solutions, more practical means instead of just arguing politics or arguing right theory. right i mean i i got my um <laughs> my 
Twitter account back that I had an older Twitter account, but I really wasn't like tied to the, that one. The one that I lost in, uh, I think it was October of 2021. I really liked that Twitter account uh, a lot and it had over 20,000 followers and I got it back. And Saturday I just started posting and, you know, on my, the accounts that I had been using in the meantime, you know, there weren't a lot of libertarians following me. Well, there's still a lot of libertarians following me and they would seem, you know, even Saturday it was just get, I allowed myself to be dragged into this debate about, um, you know, I said, rights, your rights are worth nothing unless you can invoke them and unless you can protect them. And otherwise, you're just talking theory. It's just a theory of rights. And somebody got really upset with that, you know, and I said, well, <laughs> an army, you know, if an army's sticking guns in your face and then people start talking about Max Stirner and egoism and everything, it's not egoism. It's just reality. It's the reality yeah. that we live in. Um you know, if, if you, if the only thing that you can do is talk about the way things ought to be, well, I mean, I don't know. Sure. I, I was a part of that, um, you know, that inner circle, that echo chamber for a long time. And it's, once you break out of it and once you start, yeah, you know, I mean, I have my, just look at my books, come to my house and look at my books, every libertarian book that you can think of I've read. And I probably have a first edition of, I've read them all. I know exactly what it is. I have a, a I have a documentary on Amazon prime about anarcho-capitalism, about the history of anarchy. I know what this all is. I know what it is. Um, when I start to, criticize any of it just yelling straw man doesn't it's i don't care i <laughs> understand what the, i understand what this is i'm not arguing arguments i'm arguing using arguments from real life and just because you haven't considered those arguments before doesn't make it a straw man and now I have books that I, I read books outside of libertarianism about, I mean, real politic, political theory, political theory of every imaginable sort going back centuries. And once you realize exactly, once you bring it up to the 20th century and then into the 21st century, and you realize the progression of where we're at, you realize that you, whatever comes next, whatever defeats this maniacal warmongering anti-human state is going to have to be something brand new that people are going to be comfortable with it may not be libertarian it may you you want it to have shadows um you want it to have private property um you want it to you know to have hey leave me the hell alone kind of thing you know all these things you want it to be decentralized you want it to have uh, power at the most local um most local polity possible but it's not going to be fully libertarian and if it's not fully libertarian telling me that it's just tyranny I, that's just i mean, I, i've been there i've made those arguments and they just don't 
they fall on deaf ears. That's and, a red herring, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's, uh, well, and I, I remember I was arguing with somebody, because I have a friend now who, have you, you've heard people talk about Liechtenstein, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Prince Hans Adams, and if you've read his book, Third uh, uh, The State in the Third Millennium, great book if you can find it. Um, you know, short book, too. You know, I have a friend who actually lives there now, and he, you know, he made it in. And, you know, he tells me exactly what it's like there. And I'm like, it's like paradise. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's a literal paradise. And I was mentioning on Twitter, and this was before, um, this was like probably January of 2020 before most people had even heard of COVID. And I mentioned, you know, we need to decentralize, you know, and make it to what, what Hoppe talks about 10,000 Lichtensteins. And Somebody just goes, Liechtenstein is tyranny because you can be arrested for having marijuana. Okay. You're not paying any taxes. You're in a homogenous society with no crime, with no violent crime, no property crime. You should be willing to give things up. I remember in my documentary, I was I was talking to Ryan McMakin. And, you know, Ryan McMakin said, talking specifically about, and Ryan McMakin is the, uh, he's with the Mises Institute, um, basically, you know, the, their most prolific writer at Mises.org. And in the documentary, he said, you know, what a Hoppian covenant community, what, what that would be was you would join a community and be willing to give up a couple of, you know, a few of your freedoms, a, a few of your things that you may hold dear so you can have safety and you can live more in a society like you would want to. And that made a lot of sense. That's jarring for anarchists to hear, for people who think they're radical individualists who, you know, can't even change their own oil. But the, <laughs> but, but the, um, but the, the idea is that you're not going, you're never going to get the perfect, the, ne the perfect never exists in reality. Um, ideology like an ideology of libertarianism, like say you're a Rothbardian libertarian, that ideology was created outside of reality. It was created, and once it's applied to reality, it's holes start getting shot into it, getting shot into it quick. And um, you know, we have to understand that. Sure, if you could start with something new. If you had a, a new place where people were, everybody's like, we need a new form of government. What do you want? Sure, you can have libertarianism for a short time because people are corruptible. People are going to be corrupted. And, you know, and libertarians, for the most part, especially a very ideological libertarians, are not willing to do what it takes to keep order, the order kind of order they want, which would be punishment, which would be what I consider to be far beyond what hoppy and physical removal is. It would be like a Singapore type of public, you know, <laughs> punishment, yeah. <laughs> even corporal punishment. And um, I that, you know, you, I've talked to people who've been to Singapore and like dropped money on the ground and like somebody picked it up and ran like a block to give it back to them. Well, that is a culture um, that, well, first of all, that's a culture. Um, which you know, is something else that needs to be talked about. Uh, culture is something where laws don't even have to be written on, the, written on paper. 
they're just understood. Decency is understood. Order is understood. Um, so yeah, if you, when you're looking for what you want in the world, um, I've come to say, get involved in local politics, move to a small town. Um, I'm telling you, if the small town is, is um, Democrat or liberal, you know, progressive, you're not going to be able to get your any kind of liberty kind of stuff done. You need to look for a smaller town and start with one or two things that you want either abolished or you want um, codified in law and work from there. And I think Hoppe would, uh, I mean, if Hoppe <laughs> disagrees with that, I mean, I'll, I would definitely listen to him because uh, much of the local strategy that I talk about um, is inspired by his what must be done speech. So, I mean, I was really inspired uh, to take local action when, well, first of all, I came into this movement, the, the liberty movement, the libertarian movement. I came into it with the idea that federal politics was screwed and there was no chance of changing anything at that level. So to me, it just kind of like even, it seems ridiculous to even run federal candidates. I, right. I get the purpose of it in some some aspects. Like I don't even agree with you know a uh, a national libertarian party that kind of goes against the belief in the first place. I mean we're decentralized, so we that like that's a centralization, um, and so it kind of seems ridiculous to me that we would focus on a on a leviathan that if you take five seconds to look at it, it's there. There's no change in that even if we got in as a president or anything else in the perfect world, we won't get anything done. So yeah, it, it doesn't seem like focusing federally is even the, even any, any sort of a sane person should do. Well, so Bishop at the Mises Institute, he and I have talked about this and he talks about it whenever he, he gets a chance is you cannot think about concentrating on Washington, D.C. until you have an overwhelming majority of the state houses, because making a move on Washington, D.C. is going to require having control of the states. And, you know, that's why it's to me. Um, well, I mean, I'm one of those people who start with sheriffs. You, you want to get the most uh, liberty-minded sheriffs, the sheriffs that are the most anti-egalitarian, anti-left. Um, then you look at mayors, you know, um, 20,000 mayors in the United States. If 10,000 of them were anti-regime right-wingers, you know, I, I mean, they wouldn't even, yeah. they, they don't even have to call themselves right-wingers. I mean, they can just be anti-regime and know this. Um, and then, you know, you look at governors and, you know, if there was, if we had 25 people and I know, and I hate that I have to qualify this because this is the thing that I get straw manned on the most is DeSantis. I was happy with what DeSantis, the way DeSantis handled COVID. Um, now I, when he shut down Florida, I don't, I don't forget that he shut down Florida because I was living in Atlanta at the time. And Tom Woods left Florida and came up to Georgia because we had already opened up and he was like hanging around Atlanta. We had, we had dinner the first week in May. We had, we had lunch in a restaurant the first week in May in 2020. 
I mean, mo when most people were still, most restaurants were still closed, you know, in most states. I know there were some yeah. that pop up and say, oh, there's this. Okay. Okay. Most places. Um, and I was critical of DeSantis at that time. But when I saw the way he was seeking to handle mandates, that was when I became, I was like, okay, this is what you got to do. And then watching him basically do what the left did and um, the way he refigured all of the voting districts in Florida so that he would make sure that he won this time. I'm like, oh, somebody who actually looks at their enemy, figures out how their enemy wins and says, we're going to turn this state bright red. I mean, a, a state that I lived in Florida for a lot of years. I mean, I lived in Broward County, which is basically the sixth borough of New York. I mean, it was the blue, you know, it's the bluest county in the state, I think. Um, but, you know, he, the job that he did there doing that, um, I, I mean, I, I've been, no, no one has been as critical of his Israel policy, his neoconism, his um, um, just a bunch of other stuff that he, you know, the, the fact that he won't let, um, certain, I mean, he's just hardcore on certain things and very lax on others. But as far as I'm concerned, if you had 25 governors like DeSantis in the United States, I mean, there's a reason why Washington, D.C. and all the talking heads and the elite hate him. Because if he starts to, if you get a multiplier and you start seeing more governors like DeSantis popping up, they're going to have a problem because DeSantis doesn't care what D.C. You know, DC says, and as far as, you know, the mandates went and other things, I mean, he's, he's good on other things, you know, and he went to war against corporatocracy, Disney. And I mean, Disney is the largest lobbyist in that state for decades. And he basically neutral cut their balls off. So, I mean, I think that's you know, the problem you know, bring this back to libertarianism. The problem I have with that is, is that people will only look at his war policy. Libertarians will only look at his war policy and ignore everything else and realize there's a lot you can be learning by looking at what he's doing. Why would you not want to learn by someone who's winning? It tells me that some people just really like, maybe people are addicted to losing at this point and it's some kind of moral... <laughs> a sense of morality or something, a way to preen morality. Um, we always lose because we're always right and no one wants to be right. We're the only ones that are right. Th that's a, um, that's not a straw man. That's something that I see. And when I look back on um, the way I used to talk and argue things and the way I've seen people talk and argue things, I don't think that's a straw man. I think that that's, um, you know, I, I see what I see in libertarianism is a lot of activity disguising itself as accomplishment. And that's a problem because I don't know what, you know, accomplishment you could hold up. Um, I don't have any problems with people, with libertarians running for like um, seats that are empty you know, and running unopposed. I think that's smart. That's intelligent. That's what the left would do. Um, but I, um, unless you have the fortification of will or even the will to power to get in there and, sorry, 
fuck shit up. You're you're not going to move the needle at all. I mean, we see the needle being moved in a little bit here and a little bit there, but how do you guarantee that that won't be overturned in three years? The way you do that is you do something like DeSantis did, where you basically go to war with your enemies and you defeat them. And you do it in ways that probably most people would consider to be unlibertarian. Yeah, that's pretty much what, what I've reached is the conclusion that it seems as though to to reach the I idealistic society, we would need unlibertarian means to reach the libertarian means because we, mm -hmm. we live in an unlibertarian society. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to have to have those people willing to cross that line. And then it's kind of, you know, a fallacy at that point. It could end up repeating itself depending on the person if they don't have strong enough will to, uh, relinquish whatever power they have uh, procured during that time. Um, and it seems as though th this is the one thing that I can't stand about libertarians, which there's a lot that I can't, um, is we are terrible on culture. Um, and culture it has such an influence on almost everything. It's something happens in the culture and then politics follows not too far after. I think it was Andrew Breitbart that said, you know, uh, politics is downstream from culture. And I don't agree. You don't agree I, with that? I, I think power creates culture and then culture is used to um, control the people. I mean, the, the culture of transgenderism and all these libertarians screaming for transgender rights, I mean, <laughs> which are positive rights, which are supposed to have nothing to do with libertarianism. Um, this whole trans, um, this whole trans transgender uh, agenda, um, even to the point now where you can call it an industrial complex, a transgender industrial complex, um, did not happen organically. It was pushed from on high. Um, Scott Top Howard. Down. Yeah, Scott Howard, not Scott Horton. Scott Howard has a book called The Transgender Industrial Complex. And he just goes through and shows like that Governor Pritzker in Illinois is the biggest pusher. He's a billionaire. He's the biggest pusher and promoter and financer of the transgender, um, this whole agenda that we're seeing. And apparently he has a, a brother who is calling himself a woman now. And that's one of the reasons. And yeah, this didn't happen from out of nowhere. Um, the anti-Russia, um, pro-Ukraine kind of culture. I mean, and the social media is a culture now where you have all these flags, people. Those aren't happening organically. Those are being pushed from the top down. Um, the trying to, uh, a good book to read, it's a thousand pages you can find uh, an abridged version of it, uh, or you could just PD find a PDF and control F and just look through it. Is uh, It's from 1950. It's called The Authoritarian Personality. And it's basically a bunch of the guys from the Frankfurt School who, um, I won't do anything to get your, I won't say who did it so that you don't get your stream knocked off, um, who, who commissioned it. But it basically shows 
okay, look at all of these right-wing traits, going to church, having kids, being proud of accomplishment. Um, one of them, which is really weird, is they said that somebody has fascist tendencies if they look at a pedophile and they want to punish that person beyond what the law allows. I thought that was really, really weird hmm. that they can't, especially considering what we're, you know, the zeitgeist today. Um, this book basically shows that they were going to engineer the culture and how are they going to do it? Yeah, same, same cool. with, uh, there's a book called Queer Theory of, mm. you know, it's Queer Theory. I can't remember the, the subtitle, but it it basically lays out exactly what's happening. Yeah. So the elites are, you know, whoever these elites are, I'm not going to say, I'll pretend like I know who they are. Um, they're pushing this from on high. Um, a culture that came from, from the people would reflect more of the people's values. You know, when you go to a small town in Alabama, you know, and you see a population 2000 and there's, you know, 15 churches, that's, that wasn't from on high. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a bunch of elites saying we need to put 15 churches in that town. <laughs> no, 15 churches popped up in that town and it, it happened organically. Prayer meetings happen organically, things like that. Um, you know, a town, you know, deciding to pass laws against the, you know, saying they're going to veto the COVID mandates that happens organically. Um, anything else that you see that's really outside of, uh, people's personal beliefs. I believe that that culture is constructed from, from up top. I mean, remember in the two thousands, it was very, it was okay for leftists to be anti-war. And I it wasn't, remember. yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 it was, it wasn't because they are inherently anti-war. It's because the people up high, their, their leadership pushed them in that direction because, you know, you had to be against George W. Bush or you're just pushing against whatever right wing ideology or you're just pushing the dialectic. And, yeah. um, yeah, so I don't see, I, I don't see culture, maybe at one time culture, um, dictated politics. I don't think we're there anymore. I think, I think power is dictating culture and, um, I guess you're right on that. I, I think Hollywood influences society a lot more. Um, so as a general rule, I, yeah, I would agree with you. It's that it's mainly top down, at least in the civilization, maybe since social media really took hold. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, and that's the thing with social media and Twitter. That's why I, even when I get kicked off at Twitter, I always have another account ready to go because that's where you're seeing the, political culture being pushed that's where you're seeing where you'll yep. know what's coming next if you're on twitter you'll know what's coming next so yeah and you know i mean you this whole thing with ukraine i mean you know ukraine gate you know oh god look look at the way trump treated you the ukrainians and everything these people need to be i didn't see that i didn't put that together until you know the invasion and you know february 23rd last year and seeing exactly how it was being reported on immediately, I was like, oh, okay, that's how they bid it. Wow. Wow, they're good. Yeah, we need our own. So those are good. That's good social engineering. 
and yeah. until until people on the right um, or to the right of the spectrum get their own social engineers and <laughs> figure out how to do this, I'm just going to keep losing. And that, that I'm actually in favor of that. Um, once I came to the realization to propagandize is like a neutral thing. It's like, well, why aren't we out there pushing our ideas in the schools? Why aren't, why aren't we trying to influence these, uh, these institutions that have been co-opted by the, by the far radical left and even what today is considered to be a moderate left wing person. Why, why aren't we doing the same thing? They're out yeah. there doing it. Yeah. I mean, Edward Bernays said in, um, what was his, <laughs> can't remember the name of it. It's in 1947. Um, there was uh, propaganda or there was a, uh, this, this was public opinion. Yeah, there was uh, yeah crystallizing public opinion. Yeah. This was something he wrote in 1947. I actually read it on my podcast. I'm trying to see if this is it right here. Um, the, um, it's basically him doing an update on what he, here it is. Bernays, the engineering of consent. It's from 19, it's eight pages. It's from 1947. It was after he, um, you know, you have the TVs now. TVs are showing up in people's houses. Yep. So um, what he writes in the first section of that is he says, these are really, these words are wild. Freedom of speech and its democratic corollary of free press have tacitly expanded our Bill of Rights to include the right of persuasion. Just replace persuasion with propaganda. This development was an inevitable result of the expansion of the media of free speech and propaganda um, deemed in, in other articles in this volume, penned in other articles in this volume. All these media provide, <clears throat> and this is the key, all these media provide open doors to the public mind. Any one of us through these media may influence the attitudes and actions of our fellow citizens. We need our own propaganda. And if you believe it's a neutral, you know, then I'm, I'm okay with that at this point. You know, I think that yeah. it can be, I think it can be a detriment, but if you're propagandizing people towards more liberty, whatever that means. That's another problem I have with the whole liberty movement. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ask 10,000 people what liberty means. You get 10,000 different answers. Um, <laughs> what, what liberty is to them. Um, the, then, but yeah, yeah, it's propaganda is very important. We always do it. It's propaganda is flirting, trying to get a girl to go on a date with you yep. trying to get a girl to marry you. I mean, this is all propaganda. And maybe that's why libertarians aren't good at it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was a that was a cheap shot. And I'm not the and I don't have the greatest history of um, as somebody who is who's divorced and um, had a horrible public relationship, but am now married to a wonderful woman. Um, I'm trying to learn by my mistakes. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. It's just libertarians, a lot of libertarians, not all, of course, you know, but as a general rule, libertarians have been fairly idealistic. And I, I think that's where a lot of mockery can come from. You know, that's it's, it's a good it's, thing. It's you know, it's like idealism is really is really good. 
Um, it's important. I mean, we need it. The problem is, is that when you have a group of people who can, who know how to manipulate your ideal, your ideals to the point where they enslave you, that's when you really have to step back and go, uh, I know I'm sticking to this ideology and, um, you know, I know that, you know, as long as, as long as somebody, everything's being done by consent and, you know, no one's being forced, you know, up, up, you know, that's how you end up with prostitution on the streets, you know? And, you know, it's funny, I was, I was saying that and I was like, I asked somebody, I asked some, you know, ideological libertarian, I said, if there was a prostitute on the corner, on the corner of every street in your town, do you think that that would, you know, be a detriment to your town? And they said, no. And I was like, I don't understand how you can say that. If, if the, if 10% of the women, let's say 5% of the women in a town, and I'm saying this because, you know, we're, we're in this hyperinflation. Um, I, I've studied the Weimar Republic. I know, you know, it wasn't only about hyperinflation. There was a whole, <laughs> there was a whole yeah. lot more going on there that destroyed, that destroyed that, that society. Um, and prostitution was rampant and i'm talking about child prostitution i'm talking about mother daughter teams i'm talking about yeah. really disgusting degenerate stuff um but if you had say you know and this is a large number you had a town of 5000 people of 2000 people and 5% of the women were prostitutes and only prostitutes online they weren't on the streets they weren't they they were doing it in private that would still affect your culture it would Agreed. still affect your culture. People would know. People would talk about it. Where are their Johns coming from? I mean, it would affect your culture, and it would go down fast. And it would it would be really fast. And um, look at OnlyFans. I mean, it's, Ooh, yeah. I mean, this is and now they're talking about um, a you know AI porn. You know yeah. where you can and they're talking. I was. Now, I don't want to do anything to get the channel, but they were talking about like child, like yeah. using AI porn to, to, and I'm like, to quail the, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm like, you know where that's going to go, right? It's going to go, they're going to go to the most debased things. They're going to take real children's faces and put them on, on those models. So then the real child sees that and sees them being what in a snuff film or something yeah. like that. I mean, come on pump the brakes i mean like really slam on the brakes and think about what's on. and you know this is an anti-technology kind of thing although you know i, I am a real big uncle ted respecter i think everyone knows that um but for <laughs> different here. but for, but for different reasons um but i mean you really have to think about um you know freedom and liberty and, and all this it all comes with responsibility and it all comes with consequences and if you can't figure out that certain things that don't violate the non-aggression principle are going to have real, very real consequences on not only individuals, but on society at large, you haven't really thought this through. Yeah. I, I actually had a conversation. Well, it wasn't much of a conversation. It was just a couple of uh, Twitter comments back and forth uh, between, between me and one of the, county party members um here in my county i i had made a post on twitter saying that we should slut shame 
whether it's men or females like like we should and th this is out of libertarian bounds but in my opinion um and th this is actually probably one of my favorite quotes of yours um it, when you were talking to uh, Kyle Matovic recently is that degeneracy grows the state mm -hmm. and awesome. i wholeheartedly believe that and um and that's why i was saying you know we we've been trying this hookup culture since the 60s and we're not happier we're not better off it's come at a huge detriment to society and the, the old adage of well it doesn't affect me so you know it i don't care it's somebody else's business and it's like but it is your business because it affects your society ultimately yeah, a good woman who is grounded in faith and, you know, it's like, I mean, I've had I have nothing bad to say about my ex-wife. She's a wonderful woman. I've known her you know, over half my life and just a great person, always will be my friend. Um, but, you know, the relationship I have with my current wife is, you know, just really grounding you know and i saw i saw a friend um if i mentioned his name you probably know who he is uh, mike Mahari from 10th yeah. amendment center yeah and i saw him recently and he's like he just looked at me and he's like you look so different and so much happier than the last time i saw you i'm like yeah but i'm still as angry he's like yeah but you're like happy <laughs> <right now." laughs> yeah and really you know and yeah i would hate to call you know my wife this but she sort of you know she sort of a normie doesn't want to be a content creator doesn't want to have a podcast doesn't want to write doesn't want to do you know wants to grow food and you know have a garden and stuff like that and it's just so it, it's really helped me to understand what's most important and um you know all this activism you know activism 24 7 it's just absolutely detrimental to your health and it just Agreed. it really it really hurts um you know it can it can cause problems with your health and um just being able to sit back and you know, just relax and just have a normal conversation where we're not you know if if somebody's bringing up you know the the latest thing that that the trans agenda is pushing it's me you know and you know i was like i should why am i talking about this i talk about it enough and everything you know and you know right now i'm just trying to educate people i'm trying to i'm trying to educate people on things that i'm reading um once i'm i'm in the process we're in the process of looking for some for a house and some land you know once i get that once we start you know you know slowly start growing food you get some, you get some chickens down the line. I'll start talking about that, you know, and, yeah. but you know, right now I just want to concentrate on talking about what I know, um, the books I'm reading, um, the people I'm meeting and the voices that, you know, I would have never considered talking to when I was, you know, in libertarian circles and in, in you know, part of the libertarian identity and all I, I just, want people to think outside the box because uh, i was in that box for a long time and that box is start it starts closing in on you you start you have a tendency to start being like well um you know this person just this person just mentioned a way that you know things could improve a little bit 
by using the state. Oh boy, you know this, your box closes in a little more, a little more because the state's immoral. No, the state's yeah. neutral. It's who's using the state that's in, that's immoral. People are immoral. You know, a gun, a gun is not immoral or moral. It's who has you know who has control over it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just like find cool things to read and read them on the podcast. Find cool people to interview. Talk with them on the podcast. Write my Substack and um, three days a week and try to expose as much as possible, maybe try to open up people's minds a little more about, um, you know, where we're, how I'm seeing the world and I think where I think we're at. And um, yeah, just, I mean, I think at this point right now, if, unless you're doing like very small things at the local level, I don't, I think any kind of political action you're taking is just a waste of time and more importantly, a waste of people's money. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I'm so I'm actually chairman of my county libertarian party. And I believe that that's the only true level that a libertarian party could exist. Um, I believe that that's where any of the action needs to be taking place is at the local level, the county commissions, the, you know, uh, I can't believe I'm just blanking on this, uh, the uh, school board. Yeah, school board, um, the uh, city administrators. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, I believe that that's the only true level a libertarian party could exist. Um, because it's it seems like, and you, you get up bigger than that, at, even at the state level, and they're just, it's, it's problems. And then you go bigger than that, and it's just problems. You go bigger than that, and it's just problems. And well, I, I know the, my county people better than anyone else. Yeah, one of the problems that I had when, you know, I was, I was promoting the Libertarian Party at one point, and then I started reading more about bureaucracy and how bureaucracy always basically, how it devolves, especially how organizations, how orga organizations fall victim to basically the most ideological in the organization don't get control. It's always the people who are the most bureaucratically minded because that is, it's a bureaucracy. So yeah. obviously the most bureaucratically minded. And that's when I looked at the Libertarian Party and the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. I mean, and I was just like, well, I mean, this isn't for me. And then I looked at, you know, ideology. It's like, that's when I realized, well, real republicanism has never been tried. Real democracy, you know, real democracy has never been tried. Real libertarianism has never been tried. Real anything, just put anything in there. It's never been tried. You can use that for religion too. It's never been tried. Oh, yeah. Why is it? Why has it never been tried? Because, well, I mean, it's people, man. Corruptible people. You know, if you're religious, sinful people, fallen people. Um, it's just not, it's not going to materialize um, in reality. So, yeah. I mean, the, the whole party structure, um, you know, the only reason I don't like the term libertarian when it comes to politics, um, is even at the local level, is because a lot of people just have a, um, 
the term comes with baggage and I'm really not in the, I've spent enough of my life, you know, I've spent enough of the last like 10 years trying to change people's minds about certain things. And it's to just go out there to normies who already have an idea of what something means and um, what a term means and to use, to use it. And, you know, it's like anarchist. It's like people who want to call themselves anarchists. They it's, I mean, that's just, that term has been destroyed. You're not going to, I don't, I don't even bother. You're not going to get that back. Um, You know, you can use something like voluntarist or something like that, because I mean, at least people, they're not going to have any idea. You can have a conversation with them and um, push them towards, towards that, um, that direction. But yeah, for the most part, um, I just, I, I see ideology more and more every day as just, a detriment, a, a weakness that somebody else is going to use to manipulate you. And you see that on the right, you know, it's like, I, I did a, uh, the very rare tweet thread. And for me, a thread is like three tweets in a row uh, before we started this. And I basically said, you know, that the, the right wing is all about infighting and the left wing, the, the reason all right-wing movements descend into infighting and eventually just splinter. And it doesn't happen with the left because the left polarizes. Now we'll get into some Saul Alinsky language, uh, polarizes their enemy and they see them. They, they have a common enemy and they look at them as a real enemy. People on the right and, and even libertarians do not see the enemy for what it is. And, I agree. You know, and the left has to, you know, and, you know, Uncle Ted wrote about this. They have to have an external enemy because fighting and destroying people is who they are in their nature. If they didn't have an enemy, they would have to invent an enemy. And if they didn't have an enemy to invent, then they would start killing each other. Because that is just the contentious nature of what they are. And when you realize that they want, if you won't, if you won't bend the knee, they don't care if you're dead or alive. Look at the way they reacted when, um, which, which one was the Koch, which Koch brother died a few years ago? The, it wasn't Charles. It wasn't Charles. It was the other one. Yeah. Um, and the other one was like he I'll was take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, Char- Charles is the scumbag. I mean, he's the one who opened borders and you know pushing you know to bring immigrants in to take American jobs. The other one was like this philanthropist who had like museum wings in New York City named after him and everything. When he died, I mean, he was it was celebrated. I mean, the people on the right and even libertarians only celebrate like the death of the worst people like Che or, you know, Castro or, you know, they're not, yeah, they're not, you know, when, when Nancy, when Nancy Pelosi dies, I mean, it's like, I mean, there are going to be some people out there, but it's not going to be this gigantic, you'll have people on the right going, no, 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 be respectful, be respectful and everything. It's like, well, (laughs) maybe that is the (laughs) decent thing to do, but you definitely do not look at if you're you know if you're championing if you're you know i'll mention this when it was very easy to see who on the right wasn't your friend 
when Dave Rubin and his husband announced that they were buying two kids. And all you had to do is look at the people on the right who congratulated him. Those aren't your friends. Those they're not your allies. They're not. Those are not people that are going to stand there and fight for you when, you know, when the left, when the mob comes for you. They're not going, they may post a tweet about how terrible it is, but they're not going to donate money to get you bailed out of jail if you get thrown into jail for something like the left did throughout 2020. Yeah. I mean, the left is, even when they infight, they infight, but they don't, they only cast out people that they absolutely must, they feel like they must cast out. Um, but the ones that they cast out are, they, what do they do? They immediately go and they're like, latch on to the right. And then the right has all these left leaning people who just agree with them on one thing. And then you have the James Lindsay's of the world who is very anti woke, but also says he's way more scared of, of the right than he is of the left, the, the right rising up the left. I mean, you know, when I started reading Carl Schmidt and, and you know, he talks about the friend enemy distinction and, you know, that really applies to politics and leaders and, uh, you know, rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. But I think you can learn something from it. You can bring it down to a smaller level. That's what I do. I look, I'm like, all right, how, you know, I mean, who's an egalitarian, you know, who's talking about egalitarian things? That person's not on the right. You know, who's talking about, um, Who's congratulating Dave Rubin for, you know, basically, you know, human trafficking? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, these. I don't disagree. Yeah, these. Le- I mean, yeah. the left casts out their people. When they cast out their people, most of those people end up on the right and they end up just weakening the light. The right. You wonder if it's done on purpose, if it's just done to infiltrate or something like that. You know, there was this thing of. um leftists getting canceled a few years ago but you don't hear much about it anymore every once in a while you'll see like a scalp being taken or something like that but i think they realize we need to stick together because the because the right is just i mean um, the right like reaches out to the left the left reaches out to the left and cancels to the right the right reaches out to the left and cancels to the right they do the same exact thing that the left does so yeah. it's like, you know, who is the right, who is the right, you know, and, you know, I mean, I just, That's I can't question. Yeah. 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 So. so there there was a quote that I heard earlier today, and I thought it was fairly pertinent to kind of the conversation I, I thought we were going to have, which <laughs> seems to be going fairly similar to what I thought, but I wasn't quite, you know, I didn't cool. know quite what to think, but cool. Um, the quote is from Marcus Aurelius, and it's uh, waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be, be one. And I think that that's one thing that libertarians or people just in the liberty movement tend to not do. Um, of course, general, gen, I'm generalizing, of course, but um, we, we should have, we should lead by example, in my opinion. Well, one of the, you know, Economics is one one of the main concentrations of libertarianism. Um, at, at least, you know, good libertarians, you know? <laughs> libertarians that I can still have a conversation with. I mean, yeah, I think Jeff Dice once said that 
if you meet a libertarian who doesn't really understand economics, they're usually really a, a bad libertarian. Um, so you're saying the sex worker libertarians are... <laughs> don't even don't even get me started. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think Tom Woods has it right. He's like, look, if you're if you want to be taken seriously, you have to be impressive people. You know, I think that's what he's doing with his with the school of life that he started. You know, I went to an uh, yeah, you know, I went to an event. I'm a member. I went to an event, and it's all these people talking about their W's, talking about how you know they're using this as a way to build the life that they want for themselves and to be entrepreneurs. And, you know, I remember what the hell is her name from antiwar.com, Angela Keaton. Mm -hmm. I remember her one time somebody was somebody had said on Twitter about how, oh, libertarians and anarcho-capitalists are just a bunch of, uh, you know, people who were born on third base and think they hit a home run. And Angela goes, every... Every libertarian and anarcho-capitalist I know has two or three jobs. And I was like, that's, are you, are you trying to own them with this statement? That's not a good statement. That's not good at all. That means that, well, I mean, what, what do you, it took me three, almost four years of, putting out three episodes a week, writing articles and doing all sorts of things and working on a full-time job, 45 to 50 hours a week to work myself into the point where I don't have to do this anymore, where I don't have a boss. The listeners, the readers are my boss. They let me know if I'm doing a good, if I'm doing a good job by unsubscribing and not sending me, you know, not sending me donations every month and, um, or subscribing. Um, but I mean, if I can do, <laughs> if, if I can work myself out of a job, you know, because I'm working, I basically work two full-time jobs for four years. And now it gets to the point where, I mean, I don't have to have an alarm clock if I don't want to, you know, and most mornings I don't, I just, I do set an alarm, but <laughs> I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, yeah, I'm just going to shut this off because I don't care. But I mean, but that's not it, too. It's the fact yeah. that I can I can move anywhere. I can work from anywhere as long as I have Internet, as long as I have good Internet. I mean, I basically control what I'm doing. And for libertarians to talk about Austrian economics and entrepreneurship and not embrace it. You know, it's like I said earlier, it's like my goal is by the end of the year is to have land start growing you know, start having, having a food garden and try to expand it beyond just a garden and, you know, then start get, getting some chickens and stuff. I'm not going to talk about that and promote that until I'm doing it, you know? So I'm not going to fake it until I Great. make it, you know? And right now I try not to talk on the podcast about anything that I don't know about that. I don't, um, that, that, I haven't read about um, if I want to, if there's a subject that I don't know about that I want on my podcast, I'll invite someone on who knows that subject and let them talk about it. And I'll learn, you know, people ask me, why did you do 23 episodes on world war two with Thomas 777? Because one, I think world war two is the way it's reported as insidious. Um, the good war, 
quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and two, um, because I wanted to know, I wanted to learn all that because some of that I knew most of it I didn't. So for me to try to sit there and read out of a book or do something, no, I have someone who's been studying it for years, you know, and only needs, you know, <laughs> if he's using any notes at all, they're just, it's just an outline, you know, so you got to do, you know, if you can't, it's hard to go out there and promote something if you're not living it. You know, I mean, to promote liberty when, you know, you, you will literally, people, they will literally say taxation is death, taxation is slavery. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, and because of taxation, um, you know, I, I could have a better life if it wasn't, if it wasn't for taxation, you know, and then Matt Erickson gets shit on my podcast for saying, well, just earn more money. Jason Stapleton gets shit for saying, just earn more money. Well, yeah, that's it. Oh, well, I don't want to pay more taxes towards the war in Yemen. If you aren't paying the taxes towards the war in Yemen, they just print it anyway. So you're yeah, just going to shoot. You're going to shoot. Yeah, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Or maybe you just don't want to try and you just like talking. Well, I mean, there was a time when all I did was talk about libertarianism. Now I'm sort of living it a little bit in that, you know, I have the kind of I have liberty in my life that I didn't have before. I don't have a boss. I don't have a time I need to be somewhere. I don't have to make excuses if I'm sick, you know, and tell, you know, call the boss and try to sound sicker than I am just so that, you know, I don't get in trouble because I'm ill and I can't work. You know, that's a little bit more liberty than the average person. And, you know, once you, once you get that, you're like, maybe I want a little more. And what is a little more? And that's where that whole question of what does liberty mean to you come in. Yeah. And that's when the, when the individual, that's when you have to think about being an individual. Okay. Cause if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your family. If you can't take care of your family, you can't be a help to your community. Um, but you can't get to that. Um, you can't live just as an individual. I mean, they will, you can, and you may be able to, um, live the rest of your life without the state coming down upon you or, you know, with the state's edicts really affecting you. Most people aren't like that. They're going to have to get, they're going to have to get together with other like-minded people. And that's when you have to balance being an individual um, and being part of a collective. Because if you're not part of a collective, you're really out there, you know, just waiting to be taken down, you know, uh, Another thing Ryan McMakin said in, in our documentary was that, uh, of course, you'd want to live in a community of sorts because in a stateless, you know, if you had a stateless society, just being out there on your own, you're just people, you're just waiting for somebody, for a bigger, stronger group to come along and yeah. take what you got. Everybody thinks if they have, you know, if they have a saw, if they have an M249, they'll be able to hold off the um, the hordes forever. Well, you're gonna run out of ammo at some point. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah. You yeah, need you friends. You can only reload so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even belt fed. Belt fed goes yeah. really fast. Anyone who's shot a belt fed a belt fed uh, weapon, it goes really fast. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, 
one one thing I wanted to ask you was, um, and we'll we'll start wrapping up here, so I don't keep you too long. Um, if you had, as of now, where things sit with you and your life, if if you had a message to not not just libertarians but the liberty movement in general, what would it be? It's what I what I just said. Take care of yourself first. Take care of yourself first. I. I don't want to call anybody out, but I heard about somebody in the Mises caucus who was working for them. I won't say where 20 to 30 hours a week, but when the end of the month came, they were asking people for rent money. I mean, you're talking about being a part of a, a party that can do minimal it's going to have a minimal impact and you're basically, you know, you can't make your bills because you're putting all this effort into it. Um, take care of yourself first. I mean, I'm not saying you can't be politically active um, without, you know, without being successful as an individual, but if you're going to do it, do it locally. Don't be paying for, plane tickets and hotel rooms and flying, you know, all the way across the country uh, when you can't afford it, when you, you know, when you're struggling, when you have to do a GoFundMe in order to, um, to pay your bills the next month. And I'm not going to name who it was, but it was someone in the, someone in the Mises caucus did that with the 2022 um, um, convention. And, I didn't want to call him out on it. And he got into my DMs and he's like, no, man, I deserve it. He said, I deserve it. I, I screwed up. I should have never allowed myself to get in that situation and everything. Take care of yourself. Build up your own wealth. Um, then family family comes next. Make sure you have you know, a close-knit family. Um, I tell people to homeschool, but I also tell them, Homes, all homeschooling is going to do is going to make sure that your kid grows up really, you know, well, grows up well adjusted, but you're probably going to tell them that political power is immoral and that politics is wrong, but the other 97 to 98% of kids in the society are not getting that. They're getting a progressive education and they're going to enslave your kid. So homeschool your kids. If you own property, you're already paying for public schools through property taxes. So go get elected to the school board and get all that. Make sure turn the local school board. And I know this isn't easy. Turn the local school board into yours and institute a classical education. It's, you know, make change the curriculum completely, and you know do that because you want the the people around you to share your values and to, yeah. you know, not be complete lunatics. And that, you know, that's, and th that lends itself to you take care of your family and then you take care of the, you, you seek to fortify um, the surrounding area of where you are. And then hopefully a bunch of communities pop up like that and you can network. Hopefully some of them are close to each other and you can form these big clusters. And, you know, if you have, just if you just have the sheriff on your side, you know, a sheriff, most people don't realize these federal agencies cannot operate 
without the help of local law enforcement or local agencies. If your local agencies will not help and you know, we'll tell them, no, you're not welcome here. Just turn around. You cannot come in here. You can save. I mean, I've been looking for small towns here in, in Alabama. And the first town we visited and looked at, population about two to 4,000. I can't remember exactly where. But we went to a restaurant. And we asked about the mayor. And they had some complaints about the mayor and everything. I think it was like just blood libel from generations of living there, probably the two families. <laughs> um, but I said, well, how did he handle COVID? He said, well, he didn't. He just let us do what we wanted. Because even in Alabama, I mean, Meemaw here, Governor Meemaw, um, she instituted a, a mask mandate at some point. She's a Republican. She's, she won more than two times the vote you know, the vote more than two to one this last election. Um, and she had a mass mandate. And this little town up in Alabama that I've been to a few times now, um, they were just like, nah, we're not doing it. We're not going to do it. That's, that's something. That's, that really says something. If a politician, if an elected politician, no matter what level they're at, is willing to tell somebody with real power who controls the National Guard, screw you, that's a lot better than anti-war demonstrations in Washington, D.C. It's going to affect your life and the, life of the lives of people around you more than a demonstration, which won't change anything. Wow. Well said. You know, to kind of go back to what we were talking about, just right at the very beginning, is that, well, to repeat what I said, is to lead by example. You know, these, these things are actually really important. And when people ask you, then maybe you can drop your ideology. But people are going to be impressed when you live these, uh, these ideas and see how wonderful your life is if you can make it work for yourself. And then it's going to be important when they say, hey, why, why is that? And it's like, oh, well, I believe this. You know, I'm, you know, it's like Mike Meyer, he said to me, he said, you just seem so much more happy. Well, yeah, I worked on myself. I improved my own personal situation. And because I improved my own personal situation, I feel a lot more confident to go out there and to, talk about the things that I talk about and do the things that I plan on doing. And that is important. I mean, people don't realize just anyone who hasn't had success. And I mean, I've had success in business in the business world. It's just you're strangled. You're always answering to somebody, even if you're CEO, you're answering to the stockholders. Um, the just <laughs> success i mean and especially success where you're like all these anarchists who are like no gods no masters they, these retards um <laughs> they they I mean, you have bosses i mean the, mm -hmm. the, the friolator is not going to operate itself so <laughs> try doing it try some success in your life and see what happens when you change personally you it gives you more confidence to be able to um, go out there and see if you can do a, if you can elicit some change in the world. Yeah, it's success. I think. I mean, it sounds like a friggin' 
you know, like a Tony Robbins something, but success does <laughs> success does promote and breed success. And you it want does. more of it. you want more of it. Yeah. And courage is courageous or uh, <laughs> contagious, you know. Courage um, is contagious, man. Let me tell you something. You yeah. see someone out there, you see someone out there doing something, you know, what was Ron Paul? Ron Paul yeah. standing on that debate stage in 2007 when everyone in that room is against him. And I'm just like, I can do that. I can do that. So just just to wrap up on the last question, um, this is something I ask everybody because um, I like getting the different answers. Just like you said, you get 10, 10 different answers for this question when you ask 10,000 different people. Just to kind of summarize, what does liberty mean to you? Liberty to me just means to be able to live my life in a way that uh, trying to put it into words and not make it sound so so much like it would come out to um to sound like um to be on my land to at least have control over some of my own food production to be happy with the person I'm with and then when I leave that land to go out into a world where order is primary where people are people do not need to be told to not aggress against somebody else uh to not steal to not murder and to not be to not promote things that would take away that order that they would just instinctively they would instinctively know that violence theft things like that um even quote unquote degeneracy is going to um, is is going to lead to disorder and it's going to lead to chaos. And to be able to to have that order in your on your land and on your home and I, in your home and I've not always had that and I'm I'm at fault for that. Um, but to be able to leave your land too and experience that that would be liberty. Well, that's well said. And on that note, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Pete, for coming on. This was an absolutely phenomenal conversation, and uh, we'll we'll definitely get you back on, uh, especially as things develop in the world and things get more crazy. I'm sure. So thank you, thank you, Jacob. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Do you want to shout anything out uh, where people can find you? Pete Quinones show just dropped an episode with Tommy Simons from the Libertarian Institute. He's the OG of OGs on ESG and um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he was, first time he ever talked about it was, uh, that I ever talked to him about it was on my show in March of 2020. So, I mean, this guy has been talking about it long before a lot of people have been talking yeah. about it. Um, so, Piquignano's show, my Substack, she does, uh, let me shout out Substack. I mean, this is, I mean, you're waiting for the, you're waiting for it to fall. 
because you, you know it's like everything's going to go woke at some point and everything but um substack has been great to me i have the the only thing i would ever now i did buy a blue check mark on my old account i'm going to buy one on my new account but the only reason i'm buying the check mark is so you can load videos on there that are an hour long yeah i like having my content on as much things as possible and i will pay eight dollars a month just to be able to put my full episodes on twitter um but um the substack PeteSubstack.com, um they gave me a check mark they're the only nice. ones that would ever give me would give me a check mark when you reach a certain amount uh, of subscribers, when you get what they call hundreds of subscribers. And I saw a friend of mine who has thousands of subscribers, paid subscribers now. Um, so, and Substack, I mean, Substack I've put some, great. yeah, I've put some inflammatory shit on there, and I've never <laughs> caught, <laughs> I've never caught anything on there, um, any flack. No one's ever from Substack's ever reached out to me. Other than to be like, hey, you know, we're giving you this this check mark and congratulations. Um, and then um, you can look at my my um, documentary on Amazon Prime, The Monopoly on Violence. Uh, we have another uh, documentary that just came out about a month ago. It's on Vimeo. Uh, if you search over policed, um, you can check that out. It's our uh, history of policing and uh, exactly what policing has turned into in the United States and why the economics of policing, a lot of that. Um, and the Old Glory Club, a bunch of us came together, formed a fraternity, literally formed a fraternity, 501C8, I think it is. Um, and it's just a bunch of content creators supporting each other and uh, you know, coming together to platform each other and talk about ways that... Uh, That's awesome. We can, we can get back to American, uh, you know, traditional American values. We can, all we got to do, <laughs> we don't even have to go back very far. You know, I, I know that these, I think these classical liberals want to go back to the 1990s. And that's where it all, I mean, it all started long before then. But, um, you know, we don't have to go back to pushing plows, but the kind of morality and the kind of thought about how the world, what the world is when you go back to, when you go back a hundred, 150 years, it was a lot different. And oh, yeah. uh, there was a lot more order. A lot of people, you could keep your, your doors open and people knew their neighbor's names and people expected things to be orderly. So yeah. we talk a lot about um, Americana and, American history there. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Oh man, I love that. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. So it's got a YouTube channel and a Substack. Yeah. Oh, killer. Yeah, I'm gonna have to make sure and check that out. And for anyone else who's made it to this point in the episode, rise to liberty.com slash links, where you can also find my Substack Liberty Letter. And uh got a couple of uh articles. I, I don't post quite as much as I should. I should put more energy into it. Uh, especially after hearing how well they've treated Pete here. Um, so on, on that note, uh, make sure to check us out. We do have some upcoming shows, um, usually once, twice a week, always. So uh, if not more. So on that, on that note, uh, hang out for a second, Pete, so we can make sure the recordings get uploaded. And uh, everyone else, until next time, stay free, my friends. <laughs>